Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, May 7th. So much for us to catch up on here on this podcast. Obviously, the ATP and WTA tours roaring on this week with the 1,000 level action in Madrid. With the French Open on the horizon, that action in Madrid really does offer us fans a sneak peek of what to expect during the two-week fortnight at Roland Garros. But of course, that has not been the focus for us here at Cracked Rackets of late. And rest assured, we are going to play catch up on all things Madrid. But for now, we want to help all of you listeners get prepared for an event we are certainly super excited for here at Cracked Rackets. And of course, that's the start of the 2021 college tennis postseason round of 64, round of 32 action taking place Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend to help prepare all of you listeners for all of that action. We've had a bunch of college tennis-centric podcasts of late. You listen to our Great Shot podcast feed. Matt Stachowiak, Chris Halioris have joined me to discuss all things related to the men's postseason of of course, we had Tim Russell, ITA CEO, join us to discuss the broader 2021 college tennis season, what went right, what didn't went right, all things regarding the rankings controversy and more. We also had Riley Smith, USC All-American, on the show to discuss the way his team is clicking heading into postseason play, just how dangerous are the Trojans heading into these next two weeks. Be sure to find out by listening to that interview. But of course, on this podcast, we have perhaps my favorite of all of the preview conversations we've had thus far regarding the college tennis postseason as we are joined once again by the greatest of all time, Colette Lewis, to discuss this weekend's NCAA action. In particular here, we're going to focus on the women's draw. There are a bunch of really, really fun regions scheduled to take place throughout the country, a bunch of teams on upset alert. We look at all of those regions, then of course, we talk more broadly as well what we can expect as the postseason continues, of course. Whenever we have Colette, we can't just focus on one topic. We have to, you know, milk her expertise for all it's worth. So, of course, we talk about the state of junior tennis right now. It really does feel like the quality has improved so much over these past few seasons. I wanted to ask her if she felt the same way, of course. Again, we don't just talk about the women's side, but we talk about the men's college tennis postseason as well. It is a fantastic episode that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Before we get to that episode, I just want to quickly remind all of you that the reason these podcasts are made possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You'll also let them know that we sent you there. So, MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get to my conversation with the GOAT, Colette Lewis. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. 
To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Joining us on the podcast today, she is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket Shows, founder of the Zoo Tennis Blog, and of course, the greatest of all time, it's Colette Lewis. Colette, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's uh, such an exciting day when when we're kicking off the NCAAs. It's one of the best days of the year in tennis. I would make the argument that the month of May is just the best month in the tennis season. You have college tennis postseason. You have French Open getting underway usually. Every so often you'll get a grass event thrown in there as well. I feel like it doesn't get any better than this, maybe short of October, but that's just because that's when my birthday is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other than that, it's just, it really is a fantastic time right now. I feel like junior season picks up now as well. Yes, it does. Uh, we we aren't too far from the junior French Open, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, since we didn't have Australia, um, is they're going to be two in a row. Uh, they had the last one and they're going to have the uh, the next one. And then, of course, we get right into Wimbledon and um, then the clays and, and the hard courts. So, so yeah, and it was great being at your uh, level one um, Wednesday. It was um, awesome to see that and to, to get back watching live tennis again, as I did in San Diego. So, yeah, it's feeling like back to normal almost for mm-hmm. me. So that's really fun. No, that's exciting for us to hear. I'm sure that's exciting for tennis fans to hear I will say yeah it was my level one I appreciate you making that clear it was it was my (laughs) event through and through um no but it was great to have you there great to cover uh to have you covering the event and more importantly I do feel like there's still an atmosphere at these junior events where and I know you were at the Easter Bowl so correct me if I'm wrong I feel like a lot of these juniors are just so excited to be back on the circuit, so excited to have these playing opportunities again that, yeah, you know, you're always going to have the little pettiness, the line calls, et cetera, et cetera. But the atmosphere at our level one was fantastic. I'm curious if you saw a similar vibe in uh, out west. Oh, yeah, it was it was definitely like that. And especially um, from the kids that were coming from places mm-hmm. that um, like Northern California, which really, really shut down. I mean, from, you know, they had no courts to even go <laughs> to to play on. So um, places like that in some of the other um, areas where they didn't get a lot of tennis in and it had been winter and they were reluctant to play a lot indoors. Um, so yeah, it was, there was just this great feeling, um, for everybody. And, and I was really fortunate because San Diego and California in general has been, um, really seeing their cases decline and, and things open up again, um, while we were out there. So, um, it was really a real feeling of things were getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like, should we do two minutes on how the opening up of California will affect the Gavin Newsom recall effort? We could. <laughs> we could if you want, Colette. But no, we'll save that for another time. But yeah, no, I, I would echo that entirely. And then it's so funny because normally I have junior events, your YouTube highlights, to prepare myself for some breakthroughs. But you see guys like Holger Rune, Dom Stricker, who won his first challenge. I believe he was the junior French Open champion, obviously, on the women's side. Pick a name out of the hat, right? Uh, Maurice Arsorio Serrano, she has been so good down the stretch. She was a junior uh, mm-hmm. slam champion as well. Am I crazy? And again, I, I know we want to talk college tennis here, but you know, there you are, the foremost expert on the junior tennis, the juniors who are thriving around the world. It does feel like right now we have a pocket of juniors that are just, they're finding success right away on the pro tour, whether it's at the futures level, at the challenger level, they, the success has translated immediately. Have you seen that as well in terms of the quality of play at some of these events? Yes, for sure. I remember uh, uh, five, seven years ago, the general consensus was that nobody that was um, under the age of 21 could ever dream of making an ATP final or anything like winning a challenger even would have would be, oh, super, you know, outlier. And that's just not the case anymore. And that's good. I I, I think um, it's important that there there be new faces that that uh, different countries, um, 
you know, have a next great player or a next really solid ATP or WTA player. And um, yeah, I don't think in the women's it's always been quite as dramatic. Um, we, <laughs> we've always had some uh, breakthroughs of younger players and, and that seemed to continue throughout. But um, I, I think, you know, I'm not sure what changed during that that time, but I, it's definitely true that, that younger players are able to make their mark much more quickly than they were um, just, you know, five, ten years ago. Now, I, I hate to always make it about me, but I think that's the theme of a lot of our Cracked Rackets content. Us 94s, 95s, we just weren't that good. Like, we, we, were, <laughs> we were pretty good. We were fine. But the 96s, 97s, 98s, uh, obviously the 98s for the Americans, that Tiafo, Mo, Stefan Kozlov generation, they were the first big breakthroughs we saw. And then, you know, really since then, I mean, Korda, Nakashima, you can go on and on and on. How many talented young Americans? Uh, Jensen Brooksby, I should have mentioned as well. And then and obviously on the women's side, legitimately pick a name out of a hat and you're going to find someone under the age of 20 years old who has had success already. I mean, Clara Tawson, in case in point, like, I watch Clara Tawson play and I'm like, is... I just it feels like it's a it's a like a, it's a slingshot coming off of her racket Colette where yeah. it's just like the ball is going to explode and I mean it's fascinating I, I do wonder what are the cause you know what caused the sudden shift because it did feel like the shift happened suddenly yeah I agree and I have to give um, your boy there a, a lot of credit for that <laughs> because he was the one that that really um, you know started winning masters and mm-hmm. and that um, that just said oh okay you know he was beating the big three and so then then that was like maybe that just was a wake-up call for everybody else to say oh it really isn't this we really don't have to wait till we're 25 years old to do something. So mm-hmm. no, absolutely. And for the record, was my boy not my man anymore? I'm out on <laughs> I'm out on the Zverev uh, train. But yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I still hold on to hope for Stefan Kozlov because I'm like he beat Tsitsipas at the Orange Bowl. I'm like I saw it. I know he can do it. And so I'm just waiting for it to happen again. But. No, I mean, there's an abundance of talent, of course, right now uh, rising up the ATP and WTA tours. And, of course, this gets us into our college tennis conversation because there's an abundance of talent across the nation. And we were both part of a tennis recruiting roundtable, I will say, and I... I don't want to mispronounce her name, so I always just call her Re. I love Re, and I'm so grateful that she was willing to include me in the roundtable. One line that got cut that bothered me when making my national championship predictions, I said AGs stick together, a reference to Alexa Graham, obviously. She cut it! I was like, no! I was like, that that was my home run joke. But of course, again, so grateful uh, to be included. And for all of you who are curious about, you know, what are people thinking heading into this NCAA tournament, go check out that roundtable. Obviously, Clint, you were included. For some reason, they included Chris Halioris. That was a mistake. He doesn't know how to write. Um, But, you know, Bobby Knight, all of the usual suspects. And that gets us into today's conversation, which is, of course, uh, the NCAA tournament. In particular, we're going to focus on the women. But I want to start with that topic because looking back, the, the decision from the NCAA to afford the class of 2020 an additional year of eligibility, in the moment, it felt like such a feel-good thing, right? Like, of course that's what you're going to do. Why these players had an opportunity ripped away from them for no reason, uh, nothing they could control. Let's offer them an additional season. Twelve months later, I'm not really sure how I feel about the decision because on the one hand— the quality of college tennis has been exceptional. The parity seen this season, there are legitimately, I would say, five teams that can win on the women's side. I would say there are legitimately maybe 13 if you want to get funky on the men's side who could do it. That A lot of that is a product of the fact that there is an additional year of eligibility for the seniors. And that additional year is not going anywhere, right? It's, it's going to impact scholarships. It's going to impact roster sizes. We're going to see an abundance of transfers over the next three seasons until the COVID classes filter out of college. Since it's a horrible way of framing it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I, I'm curious now, 12, 15 months later, do you think the NCAA regrets their decision or do you think they'd, they'd stick with it? I don't think we need to get into what I think of the NCAA, but um, let's just say it was one of their better decisions. I, I, I understand the, the implications, but the fact that they're that 
they did not get a season. I mean, very few matches were played um, and maybe a couple of conferences had a few matches, but it was a lost season for them. So I, I mean, to me, it was the right thing to do. I, I, you're right. The implications of it may have, may have not quite filtered through um, at the beginning, I think we're, we're starting to see what they are now. But on the other hand, I mean, it's it's great to be able to see Will Bloomberg and, and um, Sarah Davitola and, you know, just untold number of players that we wouldn't see for 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 a while, you know, that that maybe if they go on and play um, ITF, you know, pro circuit events or something here and there. But this is a chance for them. And and I I think that that um, is a net positive for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And the only concern I have would be the Baylor model. Are we going to see you know this uh, a deal where you know in this case it was Stachowiak and Furman coming from Duke, Charlie Broom coming from Dartmouth, and it's just we could see kids doing that. Why not do it? Call up your three friends who are seniors and say, hey, like let's transfer, let's go to X school, and let's. Do what Baylor just did and put together a run like that. Of course, there's a lot of X's and O's that have to be figured out to afford, uh, to allow for that sort of thing to happen. The scholarships have to be open. The roster spots have to be open. I mean, that's like my one concern, but it I, it's not even a concern. To me, that would be a fun thing if we saw this abundance of super teams continue across uh, you know, the next few seasons because, I mean— I feel like under normal circumstances, and this is how we can get into our discussion here of this year's event, like I look at a team like NC State, and I look at the top of their lineup and Rodgers and Smith and just what they're able to do uh, in their top three, top four, or, or you know, even a team like a Duke this year, which it feels like they've been an afterthought. And I feel like normally the quality of those teams, those are teams that would be in the national championship hunt. And I just feel like the... The standard deviation of what it means to be a good team this season has been risen exponentially. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that you're right. It, it might continue uh, continue <laughs> on. But but the good thing, or I, I guess the, the bright side of that is that it, well, super teams will only really probably exist for one year. I mean, <laughs> I don't think you're going to see uh, teams turn over that spot every year with new I, I th- uh, maybe I don't know I guess we'll have to see how creative um, some of the especially men's coaches get but I you know I do think it might be fun if you know a certain school that hasn't always you know been at the top gets somebody to transfer in and then they kind of boost um, them up and and yeah I mean I think Baylor has you're right they they've really really um, had a had uh, a great opportunity and and they've taken it and they're definitely ones that are kind of now setting the the standard in in that case but um it's not they're not the only ones that can do it so it'll it'll be fun to see a how they how they do this year i picked them to win the national championship so (laughs) i think they do pretty well but i it's to me i think that'll add just a little bit more excitement to the college season going forward no, absolutely. If I was a player of relevance, I would be calling my three closest good college tennis playing friends, and I'd say, we're doing whatever we have to do to get to Malibu for our senior season. I'm like, we are playing at Pepperdine, we are living in Malibu, and we are just <laughs> going to enjoy six months of mastering in tennis uh, on a beautiful beach. And yeah, that would, that would be the win for me. And you know, again, I'm, I'm taking consulting fees, so if any of these players want, uh, want a little help on some of my other ideas, you know where to find me. But with that in mind... Let's get into our discussion of this weekend's action, opening rounds of the NCAA tournament, round of 64, round of 32. We've got, you know, 16 men's and women's host sites, and of course, there are always upsets galore. I want to start on the women's side, and I've kind of ordered the regions I, I view as most likely to least likely to be upset. I want to talk about, in particular, the regions that are perhaps most intriguing for college tennis fans, but I think the place we have to start is in Pepperdine. That was, I promise, not a planned segue. That was one of those random ones. But we're going to stick in Malibu where, I mean, normally if I told you Pepperdine's going to play Stanford, you'd think to yourself, round of 16, round of, you know, maybe even a quarterfinal matchup, perhaps further depending on the quality of the teams. Well, 
We have a potential opening weekend battle between Pepperdine and Stanford. Pepperdine playing the host school, Stanford, who got off to a late start this season, put together a 14-4 and campaign that featured, I believe, the first loss to Oregon in program history. I guess my question is, what, we don't really know about this Stanford team, and it's funny, I was I was doing my research uh, for the tennis recruiting article, the last three NCAA tournaments that have been played uh, for, you know, because the North Carolina women have been exceptional, I was looking, who's, who's beaten them in the NCAA tournament? The last three years, it's been Stanford that's beaten them, and of course, we've seen in the past Stanford not play the national indoors and play a limited schedule, then just kind of run through everyone and rip through to another NCAA title. I really don't think that's going to be the case this year, Colette. I, I know from a draw perspective, again, this is a really, really fun matchup. But when I look at this Pepperdine team, who I believe is still the highest power six UTR in the country, like they're really, really good. Yeah, I, in fact, um, they're really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, it all depends on, for me, how Ashley Leahy is is. <laughs> Period. I, you know, obviously she couldn't play at the indoor. That uh, really set them back, and they they have played quite a few um, important matches this year. And I mean, they've played good competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see Stanford beating them, but um, again, if something should happen, someone gets hurt, or um, you know, Stanford just does their usual postseason thing. <laughs> then uh, you know it's certainly possible i i would i think you'd have to be crazy after the last 15 20 years at least as long as i've been following uh, college tennis closely to ever count stanford out no they don't win it every single year but holy cow i mean you have to you have to base Mm-hmm. your predictions on some of the things that they have been able to do when they were not favorites so mm-hmm. i definitely think that is a is a will, will be a really fun match to watch and and i think we'll learn a lot about both teams in that mm-hmm. yeah no, look when you can justifiably play fifth year senior emma higuchi at the number six singles position when you can throw Emily Arbuthnot at number two, number three, and get away with it. That is not a team I would want to trifle with. And look in Arbuthnot, in Higuchi, in Michaela Gordon, you have players who have made postseason runs, who have played, you know, with the pressures of an NCAA event. And yes, the loss to Oregon was extreme, a 4-3 loss. But you look outside of that, they lost to Pepperdine, they lost to UCLA, and they lost to a really good Cal team. Like, Considering they played fewer than 20 matches on the season, considering their season didn't really start until the beginning of March, this is a team we still don't know exactly what their best tennis looks like. And so I would agree with you. I mean, you look at the stats, they're competitive and can win at every flight. They're pretty good at the two and three doubles positions. And of course, Pepperdine, and we had the chance to talk with Per Nilsson, their head coach, on a podcast, uh, I think it was a month ago. He said, look, doubles is something we always struggle with. He said, if I could start a match just playing singles and not even worry about the doubles, I would do it every time. And obviously, you're not allowed to do that. And so (laughs) once you go down 1-0 in an NCAA match, now you start to feel the pressures. Now, again, that institutional history of Stanford begins to matter the problem is the flip side, Colette. You look at this Pepperdine team, 20-3. and three, Two of their losses came to UCLA and North Carolina at the National Indoors without Ashley Leahy, who, as many college tennis fans will know, has been the number one player in the country primarily for the past two and a half seasons and you know walked in the door as, in, as one of the top ten players in college tennis. And, you know, she's been good, not great. I know she's dealt with a lot of injury issues. She's 10-4 and four overall in the year, 7-3 and three at number one. But, I mean, the fact that for Pepperdine, their biggest strengths in the lineup probably, you know, at the bottom half when you have Tasha Pachkaleva, who I believe is 22-1 and one on the season, Lisa Zarr, 19-1 and one on the season, and they're just such tough outs at the bottom of the lineup. And then, like, that's not even talking about the fact that in Leahy, Faila, and Fakuda— like, that's as nasty of a top three as you're going to find, right? And so, dare I say, I think I'm going to predict Pepperdine to knock off Stanford here, advance out of the region. What say you? Yeah, I agree. I just don't see a pos- 
I don't see the path for Stanford, but again, um, that's been the case before and they've proven me wrong. So I, I mean, I will not be shocked if that happens, but I would not bet on Stanford. No, that, that's what they do best, right, is they'll sneak up and get that win. And I will say this, I just, I feel like for Leahy, for Faila, it, their career, they deserve a run. Like, they're going to play UCLA. That's the storybook ending, that quarterfinal match, UCLA-Pepperdine. I believe it would be uh, the third time that they would play this season. And again, UCLA 2-0 thus far in those three match. or excuse me, fourth time they'd play Pepperdine 1-2 in the first three matches. They beat UCLA 4-3 in March, lost them at the National Indoors, and then towards the end of the season. I mean, yeah, and when you look at both of these teams— I mean, I think whoever gets out of this region, and then we can move on to our next one, I feel like they could very well win a national championship, right? If we learn that this Stanford team is capable of knocking off a Pepperdine, then they enter a whole new conversation. Yeah, I I, I assume that. Mm-hmm. I think you're right there. I, I don't see it happening, though. I, I really don't. Uh, I To me, and I said this in the roundtable, there are th- three clear favorites for, for the women's, and I don't think even Pepperdine is among those. Interesting. I see. I have that list. So let's do that. I have that list to five, and I'm going to assume North Carolina, Texas, both certainly on the list. And, I mean, Texas was – five minutes away from beating North Carolina at the National Indoors. If uh, Charlotte Shavatapan ends up closing out Elizabeth Scotty, we're talking about perhaps the best freshman class in recent women's college tennis history, running an undefeated gauntlet, et cetera, et cetera. So North Carolina, 44 straight wins. If they're not a national title contender, no one's going to take you seriously. <laughs> you, you throw Texas in there as well. It's interesting because I did read your tennis recruiting answers because I'm a cheater and I needed to know what you thought before coming into this podcast. I love Georgia. <clears throat> I, you know, Kat Jokic, I've been on the Kat Jokic bandwagon since the beginning. You know that. Everyone knows that. That's one of my players. And I do think she can, I mean, she was so good in 2019. So good. And just unfortunately, 2020 things kind of went wrong for Georgia. Either way, you look at this Georgia team. You know, the big thing for them is they uh, almost knocked off UNC earlier in the season, right? It was a 4-3 match at Georgia. However, that was a match, if memory serves me correct, that UNC played without Alexa Graham, I think, and without Cam Mora. Certainly without Mora. I don't remember if Graham was there or not. But, you know, you look at this Georgia team, obviously 20-1 and overall, that only loss came to UNC. And they've had a lot of good victories at a lot of different places throughout the season. But... I don't know. I, I'm not sold on this Georgia team. I guess I, I, I have them as a tier, or still on the tier, but of the bottom of the tier, because I watch UCLA, I watch Pepperdine. I guess part of this is just not getting to see Georgia at the national indoors, but I mean, UCLA is unbelievable. Like Forbes, Bolton, Hart, I'm not betting against that top three before a quarterfinal match. We just talked about Pepperdine. I guess what's the case for Georgia? Uh, well, I was going to, I was going to give my caveats on Georgia (laughs) in that the SEC was not strong on the women's Mm -hmm. side this year. They're just not. Usually you have to go through a Florida, um, a Vanderbilt, uh, somebody who's, you know, just right there with whoever's at the top. And that that team, there there are no teams like that in the SEC. Georgia is clearly the best uh, team in the SEC, and Mm -hmm. it really isn't close. I just think when um, your only loss is 4-3, granted at home, but mm-hmm. it's your only loss of the year, um, I, I, to me, and, and you've beaten everybody that, that, that's been put in front of you other than, than um, North Carolina, I just think that, that they have a really good shot. They have huge depth, really, really good depth. They have just, mm-hmm. I mean, so many um, – players that are just you know running the table at their position i mean meg kowalski is is being is an incredible player for them a sure point mm-hmm. and yeah the fact they didn't play the um indoor was really odd i guess <laughs> but um the fact that they, that they could be ranked as high highly as they are 
um, that they could come within one point of beating, you know, the odds on favorite. I just think that that they have a chance. Now they have to be in Texas to do that. And I don't really see that. But on the other hand, I think, you know, if whoever has to play North Carolina that wins that match the next day, <laughs> I just don't see, um, you know, the two and three winner there coming out. Um yeah. You know, coming out with any chance against North Carolina, I, you know, obviously things happen, things change. We don't know if there'll be, you know, some COVID test that once mm-hmm. players get down there or whatever it might be uh, that will completely change that. Or somebody gets hurt, you know, rolls an ankle, you don't really know. But though, I I just think those three, three teams have proven that, um, that they've done everything that they can do and they are definitely the favorites. Kat Jokic is 15-0 at the number one singles position. And I feel like I know her well enough. I can call her Kat, by the way. And it's just, yeah, it's, she, you feel, if you're a Georgia fan, if you're on that Georgia roster, you're like, all right, we go into every matchup 1-0. And it's a legitimate feeling to add because Kat Jokic is that good. And, you know, you look at the stats for Georgia, as you mentioned, they're just ridiculous. 15-0 at one. Leah Maz, 13-3 at two. Meg Kowalski, 12-1 at three. It's like, it, again, it's laughable. The thing is, on paper, and I, you know, I've gotten to see Leah Ma. She's really, really good. Just such a solid ball striker off of both wings. And, you know, Kowalski's good as well. But when I compare that top three to even, uh, again, Leahy, uh, Faila, and Fakuda, or Bolton, Hart, and Forbes, or whatever order they want to go with at UNC on any given day, it's just like, or obviously the Texas team. I just. I don't feel quite as passionate. Passion is the wrong word. I feel passionate about all of these teams. I don't feel quite as strongly about that. And then, you know, the biggest joke, they're 3-3 three and three at the number five singles position on the season. That's not a typo. 3-3. Three and three. They finished <laughs> six matches at five singles. Like, that speaks to they're winning. They're winning quick. And it doesn't even—we're not facing pressure. We're just winning. We're blowing everyone out of the water. And that's just not going to happen against the best schools as we get to round of 16 quarterfinals semifinals and just you know I I watched that match I think it was Annika Yarlagata who is from my hometown and your boy crushed her one and one when she was like 10 years old and I was 16 anyways uh, (laughs) um, and I, I like that was the one where Georgia wins that now we're talking. Now it's like you have the confidence. You beat UNC, albeit a UNC without their full roster, but still. And yet, I don't know. It's just like outside of Jokic, when I look at all of the strengths, Kowalski's really good, but still give me a Mora, give me a, you know a Fakuda in that match. I just feel like their strengths are not as strong as the other top five contenders. And so that's why I just have them a hair below. And it's like what the match calculus for me doesn't jump out for Georgia. And that's why I can't have them at the top of the top of the national title contention links. Because like for UCLA, doubles, one, two, three. For North Carolina, pick names out of a hat. They can win them all. Uh, as long as Riley Tran's on that list, you're probably going to be accurate. Texas, same deal. Is it Tarati? Is it Stearns? Is it Shavatapan? It doesn't really matter. They're going to find four. They've got multiple different paths. Like, I just feel like for Georgia, it's probably got to be those top three or three of the top four, and that's my concern. Well, that's... Yeah, that's a long Georgia rant, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But all of these... Yeah, I mean, look, Georgia, very, very good. There's no denying that. And certainly, as you mentioned, 20-1, and ran through the SEC. Uh, Really excited to see them get tested here. Now, of course, in terms of their opening weekend, Georgia should uh, advance fairly comfortably. They've got uh, first Austin P, and then they'd play the winner of a very good Furman team, by the way. Sneaky good Furman team. They were constantly voted 25th in my USTA women's poll because I always try to give that 25th spot to a non-Power 5 conference. That's a story for another time. Let's move now beyond the contenders because, you know, the top five, again, fairly obvious. But when you look at some of the other regions, and I think you wrote this, and I was so jealous that I didn't steal it for myself, but what was it? In 2019, only two non-top 16 seeds made uh, the round of 16. And so, you know, it's not an absorbent number, but there's always one or two. And you start start looking across where are those going to be this year. 
I think the first one that jumps out and where I want to go next are the Duke Blue Devils. Because you look for Duke, it feels like they were a team that just was constantly injured this season, that we never got to see them fully healthy after, you know, being so good in her opening seasons. Kelly Chen just didn't quite have the year at the number one singles position that we expected. She was 5-9 and nine at number one, ten and, uh, 8 and 10, excuse me, overall in dual matches. And yet, on paper, when you look at some of the names, Drummy and Chen and Chi and Beck and, you know, all of these players... I really like this Duke team. I know they're 15 and 6. I know Baylor's only lost to one opponent all season long, and that opponent is Texas. But I don't just like this Duke team to advance out of the region. I could see them knocking off a UCF or a Miami of Florida in that round of 16. I think I'm going to pick Duke to make the quarterfinals. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that that's a bad pick. It, it, it's similar to your North Carolina men. Um, mm-hmm idea that they're they're going to be healthy and when they're when they're healthy they they are just really really good uh i do think that that duke has suffered a little bit with 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 the lack of depth and that's mm-hmm. kind of what's what's cost them some of their matches they have some really really good players that that are competitive with anybody so it definitely matters i think they have to win the doubles point pretty much um in any match they play but no i would not be surprised if they beat baylor um Mm -hmm. and got out of that that section i i'm not quite as convinced about the the quarterfinals but um they would they definitely um one of my picks to uh, to be one of those two teams because i think over the 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 whole uh, you know 10 15 years i've been looking at this carefully it usually is one or two or three sometimes three teams that that don't that host and, and don't win so the question then is just which ones and um, you're always a little bit surprised, and then every so often, everybody does, and you're like, "Well, that's no fun." <laughs> um, I had to pick somebody, and nobody came through. But, um, it, it, I, yeah, I, I like Duke as one of those possible teams, and I think a lot of people are also picking Michigan to maybe come out of the LSU. Um, <laughs> hosting site um obviously michigan suffered as the big 10 did not the women quite as much because um they played a little bit more in the um in in the indoor but Mm -hmm. it was um you know michigan is probably underrated um and um lsu because they play in the sec is is probably overrated so i you know i don't know that that could be a really good match, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So that would probably be my my second pick, though. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you know the Stanford Pepperdine is also you know mm-hmm. one. So I guess those would be my three three main. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Well, just to clarify, it was not me. It was Colette who called Michigan underrated. Just because, you know, people out there are going to be, they're going to be pressing. I mean, I agree with you. And it is amazing. We'll do a case study someday, if people will still be doing that, on how the Big Ten getting Ohio State and Northwestern into the women's national indoors made such a big difference in the ranking formulas compared to the fact that only Illinois got in for the men. And it's just like the fact that Ohio State and Northwestern got those two extra matches made all the difference for the conference it kept them alive kept them in the mix now they only end up getting one host in ohio state and one could argue uh, or no no northwestern hosts as well you're right i appreciate that but it's like i again considering michigan beat northwestern twice yeah you're, you're a little bit frustrated you're wondering why they weren't hosts i would circle them as well as a team that i think can absolutely uh end up making the round of 16 if not further but I mean, you look at this Baylor team just quickly, who obviously is who uh, Duke's going to come up against in their host site. You know, on paper, 
23 and 4. That's a really good season, particularly when all four of those losses came to the number two team in the country in Texas. But you look at the the strength of schedule, you know, a decent win over Arizona State, good win over Texas A&M, but that's really it. Like that's in terms of the strength of the schedule, these Baylor Bears, yes, they beat everyone they were supposed to beat, but that's really it. And there were a bunch of 4-3 matches against the Oklahomas of the world, against the Kansases of the world. Baylor's good. But to your point, outside of the depth, and I think Duke only has like seven or eight rostered players this year, which is kind of crazy, I I still think this Duke team can play uh, some really, really good tennis. Their six losses are all the teams in the top 15. And by the way, the ACC conference this past year, oh my gosh, like just absolutely ridiculous in in terms of the field, uh, the women's tennis slate. But I mean... So, yeah, I, I, Duke would be one. Michigan would be the other, just for the record, because I had to look it up. Michigan would be favored in their matchup against LSU by UTR. Michigan a 61.96, power 6, LSU a 61.46. Also worth noting, you know, for the Wolverines, their only losses this year were, I believe, to Duke and to Ohio State. I think that, that those are the only two teams they lost to. And I think they lost to Ohio State a couple of times, but that's it. Um, yeah, that's... It's a dangerous Michigan team, and look, this LSU, we don't have to talk about what they're going through, but we both know the LSU women's team is not exactly having the cleanest season, right? There's a lot of off-court stuff that they're dealing with as well, and so you do wonder, can the Wolverines go down to Baton Rouge? pull off the upset I think they can Uh, I know a lot of people think they can as well the only other upset I would turn to or one I'm just keeping my eye on that UCF region number nine UCF going to play Charleston I'm going to assume south in their first round then play the winner of FIU in Miami of Florida and just look I'm on the Estella uh, Perez Somariba bandwagon made that very clear there's not a lot of bandwagons I'm not on as you know Colette (laughs) but uh, hers you know Stella bandwagon one of them I'm very much a fan of I feel like that's one of those where you go in you know ACC team such a tough strength of schedule you know Miami's been tested uh, match in match out and then you enter that match with perhaps the best player in the country certainly the best player in the match I kind of, my take is I really want there to be like seven ACC teams in the round of 16 just to kind of as a testament to how good that conference was. I feel like that'd be the ending they deserve. That's my third upset, and it's the one I'm least confident in, but I like Miami over UCF. What do you think? I I thought about it, and they did have a pretty good run, I, I would have to say. Uh, they beat Florida State, if I recall, in the, mm-hmm. in the ACC. Yep. And they're playing well, and and Paige is is a great coach. She awesome. always has her team ready, um, and they they seem to be coming together at the right time and and really firing on all cylinders. However, I did pick them to to do an upset uh, two years ago mm-hmm. against Oklahoma State. And they lost that match for three. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that one. <laughs> I, I think UCF is probably a team that we don't see much and we, we don't hear much about because they're not in a power five. And, and I, you know, I, I don't want to just go with, with the ACC because it's the ACC. I, I'm going to give UCF, especially at home, the benefit of the doubt on that one. Mm-hmm. No, UCF's really, really good. They're 18-4. and four. Their losses are to Wake Forest, to NC State, to Texas, and to Oklahoma. Like, those are at Oklahoma, by the way. Those are all good losses. And they beat Florida at Florida. That's a 4-3 win. That's a really impressive win. They won their conference uh, as well. And just, they beat everyone they, they were supposed to beat. I agree with you. This is, by no stretch of the imagination, a cakewalk for Miami. One could argue UCF still enters as the favorite. I I just it, it's really a bet on Stella. I'm just I think she uh, she belongs in Orlando round of 16. Um, you know, again, I, I do think that match gets really good. It's not going to surprise me if it's four three one way or the other, but I am expecting a four three match in that one. And then you know you start to look at some of the other regions. If this was two years ago, South Carolina upsetting NC State would be something I considered. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think that Florida region, you could tell me any of Florida, USC, and Oklahoma were going to emerge from it, and I'd believe you because, again, I, I, I respect Florida, respect the program. I just don't know how good any of these SEC teams are heading into the tournament. But, you know, again, Oklahoma, Florida State, I'll keep my eye on. Northwestern, Texas A&M. 
I'll keep my eye on. But in terms of, you know, the rest of this bracket, in terms of these opening weekend play, are there anything, anything else that jumps out to you, Colette? Anything we haven't touched on? No, I don't think so. I, I do think that there there's um, hopefully going to be some good matches, though. I, I think there there will be a lot of four O's, um, but I, I think we'll have enough of the ones that are really close that come down to the last match that it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And I'm, I, as you said, what I, I'm particularly interested in how the big 10 schools do because um, we just really don't have very many data points on, on, you know, how they've played against the very top competition in the country. And so I, I, that's kind of really what I'm looking forward to. And then again, you'll get some idea of the relative strength of the SEC. And as you said, the ACC, uh, just from what happens this weekend. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, again, more than anything else, and I think I wrote this, and I think it was also cut, but justifiably cut, when I said who's going to be the winner this weekend, and I said the fans, who are just going to love having college <laughs> tennis back. And then I was like, just kidding. That's not my answer. And I think that whole section got deleted, but whatever. Justifiable, again, that's what a good editor does. Um, <laughs> um, Alex, I think you write too much. I've never <laughs> deleted. I mean, I learned a long time ago that, that she does that. Tennis recruiting wants short answers, and yeah. I've it's, been giving them. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like a Charmin Ultra thing where less is more, but I'm just, you know, I, I whatever. I, I do what I do. It's the enthusiasm. I'm like, I'm writing a paragraph, and then I'm like, well, I can't not mention this thing, or I can't not make my stupid joke, because people will be like, what's wrong with him? Is he feeling okay? <laughs> um, but, you know, again, just rapid fire some questions here uh, down the home stretch. I know you, again, no one has a better pulse on the junior scene and the transition from junior tennis to the pro circuit. Emma Navarro at Virginia and Virginia number 14 seed. They would potentially face Georgia in the round of 16. That's a very interesting match because Navarro, Subash as a top two, they can straight up beat Jokic and Ma just head to head. And I'm curious though, when you watch Emma Navarro, we saw her win a match in Charleston. Uh, Obviously that's an event that's very close to her family. Um, But what do you what do you think of Navarro? Do you think she's going to be one and done? You think she goes pro after this year? Um, that would kind of surprise me. It might depend mm-hmm. on on how they do or how she does in the individual tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I don't think um, she's in any hurry. She never has been. Mm-hmm. She's always played her age division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she won the 16s Easter Bowl, which is I think the first time that I actually saw her play and talk to her. Um, you know, she she's always been one to play. Uh, she played when she was 18. She played the slams. There was never a sense that that she had to be in. Her. She went to college. I mean, she mm-hmm. um, you know, she was a, a very, very top top tier, you know, a, a Grand Slam finalist. A lot of those just say, well, I don't need to go to college. Mm-hmm. So I I think that it's definitely open for her to come back for sure. But I do think it might depend on on how she does it in the individual. Mm-hmm. Now, if she wins the NCAA tournament, you're gone, right? Because that wild card to the U.S. Open is just too valuable. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think so. But, I mean, she mm-hmm. she could still play it, uh, not take the money and, yeah. and come back. So, um, I, I she, when I talk to her, she, you know, she's taking it day by day. And that's how she should do it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, how she does this summer. Um, she didn't do well in the in the 60k. She lost in the first round in the 60k in Charlottesville, which was a little bit of a surprise to me after all the success that she'd had in Charleston. Uh, you know, winning two matches. So I I just think um, mm-hmm. you know it just depends, and I don't think she's in any hurry, and I don't think she needs to be in any hurry. Mm-hmm. I I've said this on podcasts before. I would give anything just for, and she was too good, and she was ready to go pro, but. Katie McNally would have been the best college tennis player. She would have had the best individual season had she just spent like one year at Ohio State because her combination of singles, doubles, prowess. I like I watch her have success. And I'm like, you couldn't just give us one year of college. Just yeah. like one because she would have been so, so, so good at it. And, you know, again, I am we are really fortunate that we got to see Emma Navarro because she could have gone pro, as you mentioned. Yes. And uh, that's that's why I ask the question. And again, you look at some of these other, I guess, when looking at the individual, draws 
it's always interesting. Like, I'm always concerned that one of these years the U.S. Open is just going to be like, you know what? We're done giving the wild card. Like, we just don't really care that much. And obviously, when it's not an American champion of the NCAA event, they don't give a wild card. Right. Are, are, are you at all concerned? I mean, I'm, last year was, you know, 2019, it was Jub versus Borges. Uh, it was also Estela Pre, uh, Perez, so Mariba versus, I think, Jokic in those finals. And so, you know, no wild card offered to any of those players. I'm always concerned that they're just going to stop. Are, are, any concern on your half? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do think they've played uh, paid a lot more lip service to college tennis lately than they had um, 10 years ago when they mm-hmm. flat out didn't let, you know, people in um, that Americans that um, mm-hmm. won the NCAA. So I, I think they they would have to justify it a lot more if they don't give it to an American, but um, it's not written down anywhere. And when there is nothing that binds them to that, Mm -hmm. there's always a chance that, that they'll not give it say, especially if it's some random player. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that their commitment, the fact that the NCAAs are at Lake Nona will (laughs) certainly mean that if somebody comes through there and they see them and et cetera, et cetera, that that will certainly be in its favor. So Mm -hmm. I expect if an American wins either of the singles titles, Mm-hmm. They will end the doubles titles. They will get a wild card into the main draw, but I would never say it's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. No, completely fair. And with that in mind, again, just some predictions down the home stretch. Does Will Blumberg win the triple crown this year? Singles, doubles, team? Yes or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> I really want it to happen, like even if it's him or Davitella, and as you know, I try to speak things into existence. I would say those are your two front runners most likely to ha- have it happen. I would throw just a shade on Daniel Kukerman as well. I think him and Riley could absolutely win the doubles. I think he could absolutely win the singles. Whether they win the team or not, that would probably be the toughest one. But I'm just desperate to see a triple crown. Like, Stevie came so close, but him and Kiroz were like, nope, we got to pull out. Like, I think that was that was probably the—or cl- or, who was the other one? Someone made finals of singles and double. Oh, Jameer Jenkins. There it was, 2013. He yeah. lost singles final to Blaz Rolla, but Virginia won the team. He and Mack won the individual doubles. No triple crown this year? thats I mean, that's obviously the best bet. You're not seeing it? No, not seeing it. <laughs> that's fine. I— should I predict? No, I'm not going to predict it. It's not going to happen. Let's just be realistic. <laughs> but then, you know, again, even beyond, and I feel bad. We we haven't talked much about the men's side either. I'm curious. Any any men's predictions? Any men's storylines you're going to be following most closely? Well, again, I I do think, as you pointed out in your roundtable answer, that there's a whole lot more men's teams that could could end up winning the title. I Mm -hmm. I think that it's, I mean, I still can't quite get over Virginia being the number five seed. I know. It's like, what? Ridiculous. Um, What more do they have to do exactly? I guess maybe not lose to Illinois. (laughs) A Kovalis, Illinois. That's literally their only blemish. Yeah. And so I'm, so if they were to win, no, would I be surprised? Absolutely not. And and I think you can say that about, oh, man, I'd go down to TCU. Um, I wouldn't be sh- surprised if they brought it all came together for them. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, you have to pick somebody. I pick Baylor. I think they have more depth than anybody. Uh, and, and that matters. It, again, if you're in a COVID situation, if you're whatever, if you're um, in an ankle turn situation. So, I, but I, gosh, no, there, there are, that, that's what makes the men's, I think, really, really interesting um, from the round of 16 on. I really do think it's going to be a, a really um, unusual tournament and that there's going to be a lot of seeds, higher seeds that are going to lose. Mm-hmm. My first run through at the draw, I had Illinois versus USC in the semifinals. Those would be two, you know, 10 through 16 seeds. And then I was like, wait, let me let me try this again. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And then, you know, I'm still up in the air for who I'm going to pick. I will say, and this is perhaps a reference only you will get because you were at our event this weekend. I was talking to Mr. Pereira and Masato Pereira, of course, ended up winning our level one event here at Crack Rackets. 
tickets. And I said, Mr. Pereira, your son plays exactly like Jeffrey Von der Schulenberg of Virginia. And he was like, what? He's like, I, who is? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, just trust me. I'm like, it's so easy. It's so fluid. Like, that's who he should be watching film of. Um, yeah, that's the crazy thing. It's like Virginia is the number five seed. And yeah, they, they haven't lost since February. It's like, <laughs> to a certain extent, what are we doing here? And again, I won't ask you to give predictions because, uh, of course, everyone can read your predictions on our Tennis right. Recruiting Roundtable. That's what we call a tease in this business. But of course, I do want to give you the final word. Any final thoughts on all the NCAA action we're about to see unfold? Any final thoughts? I know to, this is a little self-indulgent, but perhaps you listen to the Tim Russell uh, uh, interview or just in general his thoughts on the rankings off. Oh, the laugh indicates that you're not it's devastating heart crushed <laughs> <laughs> but just in general your thoughts on the whole rankings conundrum i it it was just such a mess and mm-hmm. and I, I i listened to your your guys emergency podcast <laughs> Thank you. which is how i found out that i was going to be on <laughs> this podcast so um i'm glad i listened to that one and i you know, just, just don't say anything. If you're just going to go by by the computer rankings, mm-hmm. just you, you don't need to tell us all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt that was just a, a PR mistake. It, there was no need to do that if you had no intention of doing all the work that was required to to make sure that the right teams got seated and the right players got seated. I mean, we have, you know, the opportunity for you know, a, a Cannon Kingsley, you know, playing, mm-hmm. a, I don't know, you know, yeah. who, who who he could end up playing, I guess. Kovacevic or Blumberg, he could just straight up draw them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, yeah, he could. And, and so to me that, you know, that's just a, a huge disservice um, to to the players themselves. And I, you know, to me, okay, it's a weird year. Um, things are not going to be like they were. We can't have expectations that that we've had in the past. But then, just don't don't alarm us all. And that's what all they did was was bring this up and then say, "Nah, we're not going <laughs> to do it." So yeah. that to me was was the biggest problem with that whole charade. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bank on the fact that no one from the ITA is going to be listening at minute 51, but you know, Colette, prudent leadership requires reflection. You know, it's not always the first to rush to a decision. Sometimes you have to be thoughtful. Sometimes the best action is no action. Uh, that's my Tim Russell impression. What'd you think? Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, yeah, I, that was literally my sentiment as well. You don't need to listen to the podcast. That's essentially what I said as well. And obviously, I come from the Colette Lewis School of Thought, so it's not going to surprise you to learn that you and I agree on an issue. But of course, something I think we both agree on is that these next two weeks are certainly going to deliver a bunch of fun results, some fantastic tennis for all of our fans. Before we go, of course, I have to let our, I let you let our listeners know what can they expect from you over the next couple of weeks and where can they find it all. Well, um, I'm going to be covering it as, as best I can for my den here, um, and I will do it every day, as I always do. I hope to be approved. I haven't received my approval for remote coverage for the NCAAs. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to watch everything on a live stream or on Tennis Channel. So, yeah, come to ZooTennis.com. I will try and keep up to date with, with everything. Mm-hmm. Well, you know I will be there, and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners will as well. Colette, thank you as always for taking the time to chat. Hope you stay safe. Hope you stay healthy. And of course, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Alex. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the great Colette Lewis. A huge thank you to her for putting up with my nonsense, as always, and taking the time to chat with us here today. Hopefully, this will not be the only time we talk to Colette throughout this college tennis postseason. And as she mentioned in today's episode, she found out that she was going to be appearing on an episode this week by listening to an earlier podcast. I didn't actually text her. Perhaps when listening to the outro, she will now learn that she is going to be on an additional podcast during this college tennis season. But of course, again, always 
so grateful to Colette for taking the time to chat. I grew up reading everything she wrote. It's very much why I do what I do today. I highly recommend, if you are not already, that you read her Zoo Tennis blog because, sincerely, you're not going to find a better primer for all things happening across the tennis world on any given day. But, of course, perhaps you Cracked Rackets fans are looking on for a primer on what's going to—what else to expect, I should say, throughout this college tennis postseason. Rest assured, we have you covered. If you have missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, our GSP, where Matt Sikoyak, Chris Halioris have joined me all week long for numerous— college tennis postseason-centric conversations. Of course, on our Cracked Interviews podcast, IT CEO Tim Russell, USC All-American Riley Smith joined me this week. You can find all of those conversations on our website, CrackedRackets.com, or on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, I will ask you, like, rate, subscribe, review to each of those shows. It helps us with the algorithms. Otherwise, I wouldn't ask. Also, we are well aware ATP, WTA Tours, we've got some stuff to catch up on. Rest assured, we will be playing catch-up to the extreme next week. We will link in coverage of the professional circuit with our coverage of the college tennis postseason to ensure that you tennis fans have all the knowledge you need to feel well-informed about everything happening throughout the tennis world. But if for some reason you don't feel that way right now, you need to catch up. Again, you can find all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more media updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me? directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order and let our friends know that we sent you there. But with that in mind, for our wonderful guests, Colette Lewis, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.